We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall never surrender until in God's good time, the new world with all its power and might steps forth to the rescue and the liberation of people. In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. There's a new $100 million campaign to market Jesus on billboards across the country. The question is, is this a good thing or a bad thing? What should the church, what should the body of believers think about this particular tactic in promoting the gospel? I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Good morning and welcome to The Rebellion. Thank you for listening into the show. Today's topic is this new campaign that's taking place across the country. It's estimated that over 300 million people will view this ad at major cities, billboards, websites, etc. across the country. The campaign is called He Gets Us, and it's a campaign funded by anonymous donors. It's estimated that over $100 million is being spent on this advertising campaign to launch Jesus across the country. So the question is, what should we think of this? Is this a good thing or a bad thing? That's the topic of today's show. Before I get into this topic, remember that if you would like to subscribe to The Rebellion, you can do so by going to patreon.com backslash Dr. Everett Piper. That's patreon.com backslash Dr. Everett Piper if you'd like to support us and help us keep keep the lights on here at home as we produce The Rebellion. Also, remember my website, DrEverettPiper.com. That's D-R-E-V-E-R-E-T-T-P-I-P-E-R.com. And that's where you can go. Click the menu bar at the top of that website, and you will get access to my books, Not a Daycare, The Devastating Consequences of Abandoning Truth, Grow Up, Life Isn't Safe But It's Good, and then my first book, which was Why I'm a Liberal and Other Conservative Ideas. You can access any of those books. Basically, it'll take you to websites of your favorite online bookstores where you can just purchase them there. It's really easy. You can go to Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, whatever it is, Conservative Book Club, and you can purchase those books there. Really appreciate your support via that avenue, too, if you will. Uh, those books are great for Bible studies, uh, group studies, discussion, and whatnot. Uh, actually, I think my last book, Grow Up, Life Isn't Safe But It's Good, is is uh, perhaps better than Not a Daycare, even though Not a Daycare exceeded Grow Up in terms of sales. Not a Daycare was a national bestseller on Amazon.com. Grow Up didn't get that status. It, I think it was number four in terms of its category and new releases when it first came out, so it started good. Didn't sell as many as Not a, excuse me, Not a Daycare, The Devastating Consequences of Abandoning Truth. I actually think uh, the writing, my writing in Grow Up is a little bit better, uh, for what it's worth. Uh, Not a Daycare was my rant about the problem, this infantilization of culture, this whining and complaining about safe spaces and how antithetical that is to what education should be. I mean, I said this is a university, it's not a daycare, my land. And I do that within the consequence of discussing what we're doing at the university, the ivory tower, and abandoning the pursuit of truth and propping up opinions as if we're giving away degrees for students majoring in feelings and opinions rather than pursuing facts and trying to understand what's true and right and real. 
So that's not a daycare. And then Grow Up is a sequel to that where I play off of that rant and I suggest that there's some solutions. So it's 15 chapters of solutions to this childish uh, culture that we've created. And it's not just millennials and Gen Zers. I'm arguing that your generation and my generation is acting very poorly right now. We're acting bunch of, like a bunch of adolescents where we're uh, canceling people that we disagree with. We do it on social media, and that's the way we're behaving as people right now. It's just not healthy. If you're a mature adult, you, you welcome a good debate without calling people names. You trust truth to judge the argument. You don't need political power. You don't need to pout. You don't need to take your ball and go home. So grow up. Life isn't safe, but it's good is a challenge to this cry for safety rather than fighting for freedom. All right. So with that as my intro for the day, let's take a break. And when I get back, I want to discuss this advertising campaign that's promoting Jesus. And as a conservative Christian, you might assume that I'm all for it, that it's all thumbs up, 100%. There's some questions here, and I'll explain why. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Let's take a break. I'll be right back in a couple minutes. In 1978, George and Kate Tedford set out to protect Oklahoma businesses better. Today, their son and our CEO, Mark Tedford, is excited to carry on his family's legacy. Professional liability, compliance, property, workers' comp, health and life. Tedford Insurance's dedicated team gives you access to the nation's largest insurance providers, negotiates the best rates, and protects their own legacy like no one else. Call 918-299-2345 or tedfordinsurance.com. The Patriot Auto Group, locally owned and operated. The Patriot family of dealerships takes great pride in supporting the communities we serve throughout the great state of Oklahoma. The Patriot Auto Group's charitable work has been recognized throughout Oklahoma. Whether it's visiting one of our local dealerships or simply shopping and buying online with our doorstep delivery, the Patriot Auto Group takes the stress out of buying a new or used vehicle. And every purchase comes with our exclusive peace of mind, Patriot Pledge. You get engines for life, plus one year maintenance and 10 full years of roadside assistance plus so much more. Sure, we can sell you a car, but supporting our community and lending a hand to our neighbors in need? Sold. The Patriot Auto Group. Proud Oklahomans in the communities we serve. Okay, welcome back to The Rebellion. So today's topic is this campaign. And I'm going to use an article written by Natasha Crane. I would recommend you follow her. She's very solid. Natasha Crane. Crane is spelled C-R-A-I-N. Google her, follow her. She's got great commentary. She's very sharp, very solid, very thoughtful, very logical, and theologically grounded. All right, she brings to our attention that there's this marketing campaign going on across the nation right now, and I'm going to use her article to set the context for my response to it. Um, she starts out by saying, in case you haven't seen it, there's a $100 million advertising campaign that was launched this year across the United States, and it's aimed at helping rescue Jesus's reputation from the, quote, damage, close quote, done by his followers. It features a website, billboards, and other outlets in major cities across the nation and advertisements, etc., and it's projected to be viewed by over 300 million um, 
uh, people. Actually, I stand corrected on that. Not viewed by 300 million people, but viewed 300 million times. So that wouldn't necessarily be equal to 300 million people. But uh, you get my point. It's it's going to be viewed by a ton of people, and they're saying that it's going to be viewed 300 million times. Um, the campaign is called He Gets Us, and uh, it's funded by anonymous donors. So good people have given $100 million to promote this campaign across the nation. You're going to see it in Times Square. You're going to see it on the highways and the byways. You're going to see it on social media if you haven't already. And it's basically a message that softens the edges of what the church's message is with regard to Jesus. In other words, the damage being done by the church, the damage being done by Christians to Jesus. They're trying to recover Jesus's reputation by this campaign that's called He Gets Us. Now, as Natasha Crane sets this up, she says that many Christians immediately have a problem with the idea that Jesus would uh, be marketed now, she says, as a former marketing executive and an adjunct professor for marketing at a university, she doesn't necessarily think that a marketing campaign is, as she describes it, inherently problematic. She says marketing is simply the discipline of effectively getting a message out to a given audience. And if your church has a website, you're marketing. If you have a billboard, you're marketing. If you have a board in front of your church that announces the sermons that are going to be delivered this coming Sunday, you're marketing. Uh, if you have uh, handouts uh, in the bulletins, if you have bulletin inserts in your church, you're marketing. So she says, don't get all distracted by marketing Jesus. When you go out and witness on the street, if you, pand if you hand out uh, pamphlets or tracts or whatnot, you're marketing. So Natasha Crane is making it clear that she doesn't take issue with that particular tactic of communication. She's arguing that we all do it all the time. Uh, I'm marketing. You're marketing. When you promote something and you say, pay attention to this. I think it's a good idea. I think it's a good product. Um, I think this is a good political position to take, et cetera, et cetera. We're all engaging in what Natasha Crane calls marketing. All right. So she says this. In other words, if donors are paying to tell the world about Jesus on a grand scale so that more people may come to saving knowledge of him, Jesus Christ, praise God, she says. But the message shared is the point here. She says this, the message being shared, does it accurately portray Jesus? In other words, when you're marketing something, is there truth in advertising? That's really where she's going with this. The message shared better be accurate about Jesus, she says, lest you're actually leading people away from the real product rather than toward it. That's her point. And I think we should say amen to that. You don't want to be guilty of false advertising when it comes to Jesus Christ, do you? She says this, and therein lies the problem with the campaign called He Gets Us. The Jesus of this campaign, says Natasha Crane, is nothing more than an inspiring human who relates to our problems and cares a whole lot about a culturally palatable version of social justice. Did you hear that? Now, you may disagree with Natasha Crane, but you need to consider what she's saying here. Is this campaign, or any other campaign for that matter, the campaign that your church is engaged in, 
the campaign that the uh, parachurch organization down the street is engaged in, the campaign that a group of Christians that are not officially organized is the campaign that they're engaged in on their social media, in the promotion of their version of Jesus, is it accurate? Is there truth in advertising? I'm going to read her point again here. Therein lies the problem with the campaign titled, He Gets Us. The Jesus of this campaign is nothing more than an inspiring human who relates to our problems and cares a whole lot about a culturally palatable version of social justice. And I think this is an appropriate challenge to all of us who claim to be Christians. Natasha Crane goes on and says this, Since many people will be discussing this campaign in the coming months, I want to highlight seven significant problems to watch out for and to share with friends who may be misled by what they see. And I would argue that these seven points aren't just pertinent to this campaign called He Gets Us, but this is something that we should be asking of every campaign, every sermon, every pamphlet, every book, every discussion that is grounded in God. Are we defining God accurately as we engage in the public square and talk to people? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get off of Natasha's uh, article for a second here. This is the issue I have with people that talk about the New Testament versus the Old Testament. And they want to unhinge Christianity from the Old Testament and just focus on the New Testament and red-letter Christianity, for example. And in fact, red-letter Christianity is even a further narrowing of the definition of what it means to be a follower of Christ. You know, the radical, hyper-red-letter folks are even discarding the black type, (laughs) the black letters of the New Testament. In other words, they're arguing that uh, the epistles of Paul and Peter and Jude and James aren't as authoritative as those red letters, those direct quotes of Jesus that are recorded in the gospel, or even those red letters that exist in Revelation. So is that the way we should be looking at the revelation of God, at Scripture? Should we be diminishing or unhinging or unhitching ourselves from the Old Testament? Because that's just, the, that's just that other covenant. And we should, should we focus only on the New Testament? And should we narrow it down even further and then elevate the red letters of the New Testament over and above the black type? That's a problem. That's dangerous. I remember when somebody once called me and said, help me understand Old Testament, New Testament distinctions here. And... Um, Jesus is the God of the New Testament, and um, there's this other God, if you will, this other impression of God. This, this God the Father is a harsh and judgmental God, and Jesus in the New Testament is a loving and compassionate friend. I said, hold on a second here. Hold on a second here. Who's Jesus? Is Jesus the second person of the triune God? Is Jesus the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end? the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Lion of Judah, the Lamb of God. Is Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us? We have to define who Jesus is. Did Jesus claim to be the great I am? Okay, did he claim equal status with God? And the answer is replete. If you believe in the red letters, then go back and read what Jesus said about himself. Okay, so if Jesus is God and you're a Christian because you believe that, then how could the Old Testament just be set aside? Because isn't the same God of the Old Testament now being revealed to us 
in the New Testament. In other words, my point is this. Jesus is God, and therefore, he's the inspiration of the New Testament as well as the Old, and the Old Testament as well as the New. There are no two different gods here. It's the same God. It's just a different revelation, a different conversation, something different that the same God said in the Old and what he's saying in the New. And the other problem I have with this is a misunderstanding of who Jesus is in the New Testament. If you think Jesus is just a kind, loving, hugging, compassionate, empathetic friend in the New Testament, who never would judge anybody or say anything harsh to anyone, you're not reading the New Testament. You haven't read how he confronted the money changers in the temple. You haven't read how he confronted the Sadducees and the Pharisees. He called them empty tombs, whitewashed tombs, not necessarily empty, whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. In other words, you're like a rotting grave, he said to the hypocrites of his day. Well, I'm not a hypocrite. I'm not a Sadducee. I'm not a Pharisee. Really? You're not? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You're no better than the Sadducee or the Pharisee. Neither am I. You're no better than the money changers in the temple. Nor am I. You're no better than Peter who denied Christ and need to be confronted for and forgiven for his sins. You're no better than the Apostle Paul who said, I'm the greatest among all of these sinners. You're no better than them, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. And Jesus himself tells us in Revelation that he will come at the end of days to judge the quick and the dead. He tells us he's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He created the universe. The creator of the universe is Jesus, and he inspired the Old Testament as much as the New Testament. So to create two different gods, really, by distinguishing Old Covenant from New Covenant is a bifurcation. It's the creation of two different gods rather than recognizing the unity of the triune God. And the unity and consistency, the outpouring of his revelation over time to us, it creates, like C.S. Lewis said, and I'm paraphrasing here, a kindly uncle in the sky who just wishes that a good time be had by all. It's this syncretism, really, that it doesn't matter what you believe as long as it works for you. Jesus is going to welcome us all at the top of the summit. All paths lead to the same summit, and we'll get there eventually by just believing in Jesus and recognizing that those people over there that were perhaps of a different religion, they had good intentions, and Jesus gets us. He'll understand that when we all get there at the end of days. That's not biblical. That's not what Jesus says about himself. So, uh, Nicole uh, Crane says this. I'm sorry, Natasha Crane. I, I botched that. Natasha Crane says this. Point number one, the fact that Jesus gets us um, strips the context of his identity to something that's essentially meaningless. She's arguing that this campaign that diminishes Jesus to a friend that gets us a human being that gets us. And she's not arguing that Jesus wasn't fully human, but he was also fully divine. But she's arguing that this campaign risks, if not blatantly does, uh, compromise the divinity of Jesus, that he becomes that kindly friend, that fun uncle that just wishes a good time be had by all. 
and give us, gives us a wink and a nod as we screw ourselves up in our daily lives. No, Jesus confronts our sin and demands that we confess that sin. So it's a compromise of the identity of Jesus to make him nothing but a friend, a kind human being. And she says this campaign runs that risk. Uh, she talks about the point number two. Jesus is presented as an example in this campaign, an example for all of us to emulate, a good guy, uh, 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 the best of guys, a, a sage that never made any mistakes as far as we know. But that's not who Jesus is. He's just not a sage. He's our savior. And this campaign runs the risk of compromising that. Natasha Crane says we might as well have a campaign about George Washington. That he was a good exemplar, too. So what's the difference by saying, about saying Jesus gets us? Well, George Washington gets us. Thomas Jefferson gets us. Frederick Douglass gets us. Martin Luther King gets us. Jesus gets us. Again, this is a diminishment of the divinity of Jesus Christ. Point number three that she points out is the campaign reinforces the problematic idea that Jesus' followers have Jesus all wrong. This is a constant drumbeat in our current culture. I remember the movie a few years ago, Lord, Save Us From Your Followers. I've talked about it before on this show, how I was invited to Hollywood to be on a panel to review the release of this movie. And the entire movie was an on-the-street interview, a man-on-the-street interview talking to Christians and non-Christians about their views. Well, the non-Christians that were interviewed basically said, well, Christianity is judgmental, it's full of hateful people, they're homophobic, transphobic, etc. And the, the, the push, the main emphasis of this film was, Lord, save us from your followers, these judgmental, hateful, self-righteous people. Um, and I, when I was asked to respond to this movie, and when I was on the panel, my first comment was, well, okay, I kind of get the movie, and keep listen to me here. I was I was trying to point out the fact that okay, I can appreciate the movie if you recognize the fact that if you're going to criticize Christians, you have to use Christianity, the assumptions, the moral assumptions, the biblical assumptions. You have to use the absolute truths of Christianity to criticize Christianity because Christianity is the only worldview in culture that is its own soap. That's why we have the Reformation. You have that objective north, that truth with a capital T, within Christianity that allows you to do self-criticism, cleanse yourself of your own failures. It's called introspection, confession, and repentance. But that's a totally different thing than these campaigns that make Christianity out to be false because, well, you know, the followers of Jesus have it all wrong. These, these Christians, Lord, save us from these Christians who think that Jesus is judgmental. After all, he said, judge not, lest he be judged, right? And I've said before, that's the most abused passage of Scripture in modern time. Yes, Jesus said, did say, judge not, lest he be judged. But read the rest of the paragraph. He then went on to say, because by their fruits you shall know them. And if you judge others, the same standard is going to be used to judge you. That's his point. He wasn't saying don't judge. He was saying when you do judge, be prepared to be judged by the same standard because it's only appropriate that that standard, that measuring rod be that you used on others, be used on you. 
Now, why do I say this, and what proof do I have that that was his intent? Because in the next few sentences, Jesus goes on to tell us how to judge. He says, by their fruit you shall know them. Well, obviously, he's saying you know people, you can judge people's fruit. You can look at the way they behave and make a judgment as to who they are. But when you do recognize, you better live by the same standard you're using to judge others. That's his point. He wasn't saying don't judge. He was telling us how to do it. All right. So back to her point. Point number three was the campaign reinforces this problematic idea that Jesus' followers have Jesus all wrong. No, it's not Lord save us from your followers. It's Lord help us to understand who you are and that you demand our confession, our repentance, and then our obedience. And if other people are screwing it up, fine. They're human beings. I remember telling my dad when he wasn't a Christian, would you stop looking at Christians and would you start looking at Christ? You understand that? Stop looking at Christians and abandoning the gospel because they don't measure up. Start looking at Christ because he's God. And my dad actually became a Christian after that discussion. Point number four, Natasha Crane. The campaign reinforces what culture wants to believe about Jesus while leaving out what culture doesn't want to believe. In other words, this is a cultural definition of Jesus. He gets us rather than a biblical definition of Jesus, which is, he is God, Emmanuel, God with us. He is somebody that demands our confession, our repentance, and will judge all human beings at the end of days. Number five, the campaign characterizes the so-called culture war in terms of secular social justice rather than underlying worldview differences. Uh, One thing that this campaign says is Jesus was fed up with politics too. Jesus lived in the middle of a culture war, and though the political systems were different, the greed, hypocrisy, and oppression of different groups used to get their way were very similar, okay? And then it has hashtag activist justice and real life. So, you know what? This sounds like critical theory more than it sounds like the gospel of Jesus Christ. Natasha Crane is spot on. Point number six, the campaign's stated goal is about inspiration, not the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Here's what the president of the marketing agency actually says about he gets us. He explicitly said, ultimately the goal is inspiration, not recruitment or conversion. Close quote. Are you serious? You might be inspired, moderately so probably, by something I'm saying this morning. Inspiration is not the point of the gospel. Conversion and confession is the point of the gospel. Recruitment is evangelism, is the point of the gospel. Just to be inspired by Jesus because he said some very interesting things in the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, that's the point of this campaign? Anytime you hear that stuff, they're not talking about God. They're talking about a sage. They're talking about a human being. Conversion should be the goal of the gospel, not force conversion. I'm not going to force you to do anything. I'm going to try to convince you by talking about the Bible as God's revealed truth, objectively real, and that Jesus was a historical, is a historical fact. He was and is and always will be God incarnate the Word made flesh and dwelling among us. And then the seventh point the, of Natasha Crane's uh, 
critique of this campaign. The next steps offered by He Gets Us could lead someone far away from the truth rather than toward it. She says this, when people become interested in learning more about Jesus, they're directed to what? A connect page. And then they've got hundreds of churches on that connect page. And what's, are these churches biblical? Do they have to subscribe to any theological uh, minimums to be on this connect page? There doesn't appear to be any theological test of these churches. So you're directed, oh, I like that church. It could be a church that doesn't even subscribe to the deity of Jesus Christ. Uh, That's a problem. That's a problem, folks. So what I'm saying right now is Natasha Crane is spot on in her critique of this particular campaign. You're going to see more of this in the days ahead. You're going to see some of this stuff in the handouts at your church. You're going to see some of this stuff as you uh, engage in social media because you look at conservative Christian things. But be wise as a serpent and gentle as a dove as you consume this information. And always use the Bible as your measuring rod outside of those things being measured, even when it comes to messages about Jesus on a billboard. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion.